You only get into, out of the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you yeah. regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Johnny Benjamin. Yeah, yeah. So, so my name's Johnny, and um, I'm uh, I'm 34. Uh, I'm from from North London, and uh, yeah, I work in mental health. Working worked in mental health for probably about almost a decade now, really. Um, and it all just stems from my own like lived experience of, uh, of, of mental health issues growing up. Joining me in the studio today, as usual, it's the two fellas. It's Ryan and it's Ant. Ant, you're on the edge of your seat. You're excited. How are we, mate? I'm good. I've got all the plastic chairs, all the calling, yeah. all the flags. I- I'm ready to go. Have you got the bunting out? No. The bunting's a bit civil, isn't it? Not got em- any Emma bunting out? <laughs> I walked past the house um, on the way home from work last week and they had bumped in out god it made me proud to be British that's the voice of Ryan Pulford Ryan how are we mate fantastic mate how are you yeah I'm good mate I'm not so bad I'm not so bad at all um yeah big week in the world of football isn't it huge it's massive I mean yeah well, well, you know, there's there's little more we can add at this point, isn't Wednesday there? Wednesday is either going to be amazing or awful. Yeah, I, I was partly tempted to request some annual leave on Wednesday. Oh, next week, the whole one. Actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Take the Wednesday off, mate. I'm going to take the Wednesday off. Yeah, because we can either go to the pub really early or go to the pub really early. <laughs> <laughs> um, if my boss is listening, I would like Wednesday off, please. <laughs> anyway, let's get on to today's episode. We are joined by... The very wonderful Johnny Benjamin today, which is uh, which is quite a quite a, an honour for us, quite a pleasure for us. A man who has been within touching distance of a prince, and that's not something everyone can say, is it? Just you two with me. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? What prince are you? Persia. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Absolutely pathetic. Yeah, so we've got Johnny Benjamin on the show today. Um, Facebook call, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell the listeners? where this interview came from and, you know, why we wanted to speak to Johnny. Yeah, quite nice, really, because it came via um, somebody who's been on the show before, Jordan Broadbent. Uh, your keen eye spotted that they were following each other on social media. Um, I think a couple of us have actually watched the documentary, uh, Stranger on the Bridge. I think you've, sub- uh, you've since read the book as well, Dan. Yeah. And we asked Jordan to, to reach out to, to Johnny and ask if he'd be willing to come on the show and, Thankfully, he was. He was, yeah. And I think, you know, for us, we, we we have to find different ways of trying to get people on the show if we want to reach out. And Johnny yeah. was certainly someone that we were very interested in in speaking to for obvious reason. And thankfully for us, Jordan, who is just a really, really great bloke, yeah. put us in touch with Johnny, who is also a very great bloke. So it's a, a lovely story all around, I think. Yeah. And we always have a theme. And the listener right now is ready for that theme. They want to hear it. 
So can you give them that theme, please, mate? Absolutely, I can. <laughs> uh, yeah, so our theme this week is, I was terrified that the world would end if I started to share and talk, but it didn't. And I think that's a that's a feeling that a lot of people get when they think, pretty much when they talk about anything, to be honest. I think, yeah. you know, opening up to anyone, big or, you know, big things or, or small things is, is really difficult. Mm. Um, but as soon as you do, it, it does seem a little bit, well, a lot easier, to be honest. Massively. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, little weight off the shoulder and you think that wasn't so bad. Yeah. And absolutely. you go again the next time. So, without further ado, we're going to hand over to Johnny Benjamin and then we'll see you very briefly on the other side. Uh, that was that was our theme. If you, the listener, come up with a theme whilst listening to Johnny in today's episode, then you can contact us on our email account, which is manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. Email account. Do people say email account? That feels quite old, like an old person thing to say. What do you do? Contact me on my email account. On email. Sorry. Anyway, yeah. So uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at Mark underscore man, and you can use the hashtag ways to talk and that's Now I'm going to hand you over to Johnny Benjamin. We'll see you very briefly on the other side. You're listening to Man Marking. And um, how are you? How are you sort of right now? How's your, your mental health currently and... And sort of how have you found the last 12 months or so? Um, yeah, do you know what? I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right at the moment. Uh, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster, I guess, to the, uh, of the last 12 months. As you know, same for a lot of people. For me, um, yeah, it, it, lockdown started off all right. It was all right. But then uh, I, got, I got ill uh, last summer uh, and ended up in... Um, uh, psychiatric hospital uh, last September, uh, which was which was which was tough because you know all the restrictions in the hospital and, and that was that was that was challenging. But and then I took about uh, I took about two or three months away from everything, uh, away from work, away from just sort of life, just try and kind of get back on my feet. Uh, and so yeah, I'm in a better place than I was for sure, hundred percent. How are you? Yeah, not so bad, mate. Not so bad. I think. Um... I think that you know the last twelve months has obviously been challenging in a lot of different ways for 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 a lot of people. But I think broadly speaking, it's not been you know I, I kind of look at the, you know some of the things that people have been through in terms of losing their job or oh, you know God. people being ill and what have you. But for me, I've I've you know you know touch words. No one no one in our close circles been um, particularly ill. My mum had COVID, but she was sort of fairly mild symptoms um, and. Yeah, for the most part, it's been okay. I can't complain. I've been in work the whole time, so I've been keeping myself out of trouble as much. Mm. As <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I feel like work. I feel very lucky. Like I've got work as a sort of distraction. Mm. Uh, if I didn't, if I didn't have any like sort of distraction, then I'd probably yeah, I'd struggle. I reckon. Yeah, I agree. I've got a few mates who've been on furlough for basically the entire the entire time, and I just yeah, I just don't. I would. Yeah, I don't know where I would have been if I'd not been able to go to work and keep myself mm. busy. And what I mean, it just seems, yeah, seems awful. I've um, yeah. I've actually been um, I've spent the last last week or so reading your um, reading your book, uh. Uh, and it. Do you know what, Johnny? It's it, do you know what I think's like the the the. I don't know if it how you know if it was kind of in the the conversations around when you were putting it together and what have you, but it's it's. The, the subject matter is obviously very kind of um, heavy, but the the reading mm, is quite yeah. light, if you know what I mean. Like it's a, it's not a difficult read, okay. despite the fact that the subject matter is is heavy, which I think is such mm. a 
to to achieve with that type of thing. I've really enjoyed reading it. There's a there's, mm, there's a book by a woman called Ellie Johnson, um, mm. which is like an eight. She writes. She wrote like an A to Z on anxiety, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, after she had um some really bad troubles with um after her at the birth of her first child and mm-hmm. that she said the same when she was writing it that she wanted to make it an easy read because i think for people who want to read it as a you know something yeah. to be helpful that, that the last thing you want is to be mm-hmm. able to engage with i suppose um, yeah i mean I, I so i've actually literally just written a new book uh which is out in a, in a few weeks actually it's called it's called the book of hope and um again the, so basically it's um it's contributions from all sorts of different people uh all different walks of life um basically how they sort of overcame challenges and found found hope again and uh again i really hope that people find it an easy book to read and i hope you know i wanted to make the chapters not too long uh little bits of like like wisdom that people could take away yeah um so i'm hoping that people will yeah find the same in in, in this book because uh i know for myself you know when i'm not in a good place i just i don't want to sit I just can't concentrate and focus and you know yeah focus is so hard when you're when you're you know when I'm in a in a a bad place so I just want to read small little bits rather than you know big big chunks of of, of text and like complicated sort of language so yeah hopefully again it's um, something that people can kind of use as an easier read hopefully yeah absolutely I think that that's that's really important, isn't it, for people to be able to sort of stick with it, if you know what I mean, engage with it and, and get through. And mm. um, in in that book, you you talked about when you first engaged with mental health services, which was via CAMS, uh, which was in the early two mm. thousands, and you wrote about the apprehension that you had when you first went to see a GP, and then the apprehension you had again when seeing a psychiatrist. And I suppose for anyone who's in that same position where they may feel as though, mm. okay, I maybe need to speak to somebody, um, but they might have, you know, the kind of typical feelings of maybe shame or they may be scared or, you know, embarrassed about having to go through that process. From somebody, you know, as yourself, Johnny, who's been through that process and, and been through that process numerous times, what kind of advice do you generally give to people who are, you know, looking to make that first step? Yeah, look, it's, it's, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It's, 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 it can be, it can be a challenge. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not so easy. But um, I think for me, like writing, I, I so I used to keep a diary every, every day, and I think writing stuff down really helped. It, it still does actually. It kind of really helps. Uh, I know writing is not for everyone, but for me, it just sort of helps to put my thoughts in order, and sort of helps to get the words out. So I think writing, and even practicing actually, sometimes. Sometimes I practice what I want to say uh, to to myself uh, or to like a pretend person that's sitting there. Um, and again, that helps as well. Sometimes I find if I've got something really difficult, challenging, I want to say, I'll like just do a like role play, a role play conversation with myself, which might sound a bit weird, but I don't know. It helps me. Um, but I think you know, I, I think I was always so so nervous. I just didn't didn't know how people would would respond but nine times out of ten people that I've always spoken to gone to have just been really supportive um you know it's really supportive no judgment um I just I was terrified that I don't know like the world would end if I started to share and talk but it didn't and um 
yeah, I, I usually be met with like a lot of support, a lot of um, help. Well, not well, yeah, a mixture of help and. But yeah, the the point is, I just, it just it it made such a difference when um, I know it's a cliche, the whole thing of like a problem shared is a problem halved. But I really do believe it. It just as soon as I get something out, I just feel like a weight lifting off my shoulders every time. Never fails. Um, yeah, every every single time, literally every single time. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a dead. It's one of those things in the way you hear it so many times. It's it feels like it's oversimplification, but often the the, the best solutions are the simplest ones, aren't they? And it, not solutions, mm. but you know the best things to help people are yeah. the most simple things that people can do. Hundred percent, hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just just reversing back a tiny bit, Johnny. You you said right at the very top of this about you 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 went back into hospital again in September. Mm. Do you kind of assume that to be a sort of something that you'll kind of go in and out of throughout your life as a or is it something that you feel as though you you may over time be able to not be in a position where you have to go in and out of hospital obviously i'd imagine for you for you and for for those around you each time is a you know the more the more you do it probably get used to it but i, I assume, mm. assume it's still a difficult and probably quite traumatic event all around each time how do you kind of view those those incidents in your life yeah you're right I think it does get a little bit easier over time like my kind of people around me are it's not such a it's not such a big deal as it, as it maybe used to be like oh I'm going back into hospital so I'm not well um I think I mean look I've, I've been I've been in, in hospital I think six seven times now um over the past few years and to be honest, I mean, I would really like to, like, I'm, I'm trying to make this year a year where I don't go into hospital because it is, it's, it's, you know, it's traumatic every time. Um, so, yeah, I think it is something I'm going to have to sort of deal with for, for, for the rest of my life. But, yeah, I would like to try and sort of minimise the, the relapses that I have because um, I've just, I don't know, it's, yeah. As I said, every year for the past few years, I've, I've, I've had relapses. I've gone into hospital and it takes its toll. So I'm really trying to be proactive this year, um, trying to keep as well as I can, trying to keep myself out of hospital. Um, yeah, if I can. If, but look, you know, if it happens, if I, if I have a relapse, if I go back into hospital, look, I'll, I'll deal with it. I always deal with it. I've got, I've got support around me now. Um, I've got people that understand. I've got more insight into my into my mind I think I've got a really good psychiatrist now I'm really lucky um so it's not the end of the world if, if I do relapse and and go back in but I want to try and avoid it obviously at all costs absolutely um if I can but yeah let's see it was um I think one of the the, the big things I took away from reading your book Johnny was about how you know changing that conversation around how we discuss issues with mental health as well as physical health and I suppose if somebody had you know a physical affliction that was ongoing that they mm. said oh I needed to go in for a procedure or I had to go in for this people would just go all oh, right yeah sound that was it oh yeah blah, blah. And, and it would just I mean I know people who go in and out of hospital for, for mm. things here and there yeah I suppose in a sense maybe it's you know it's obviously slightly different but I guess it, it's if it, if it was viewed more like that maybe it might it might take some of the, the sort of the shock away from it for people if you see what I mean yeah 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 I agree 
the only thing is like i think going into um psychiatric hospital is a little bit different because of all the it's, it's you don't just kind of get admitted and do you know what i mean treatment begins it's there's a lot of like when you go in you know, <laughs> there's so many things you've got to sign about your safety and um they have to go through your bags and check all like your, your wires and do you know what i mean like it's, again it's all around safety but it's such a whole performance when you when you have to like be admitted to a it's it's pretty it's, it's not the most pleasant of experiences um and i know you've got to do something similar when you have a you know maybe go into hospital for a physical treatment but it's not the same extent do you know what i mean yeah no um I and it feels like yeah. it could be a little bit undignifying in a way like yeah. it feels like especially as an adult and i suppose the, the older that you get and you know maybe you know if you 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 have a responsible job and you you have a family and and, all, and mm. then and then to, to it it would it, it feel it must be quite i can imagine that that whole process must be really difficult to kind of comprehend i suppose yeah it it, it really can be i mean i'm lucky well so i don't mean that i mean I, I haven't got a family or anything like that i haven't got like sort of people that i have to leave when i go into hospital like obviously if you know you've got kids that must be so tough or people that you know you, I don't live with anyone so again if you live with people if you're looking after other people that must be so hard to have to you know go into a hospital and you know be away from them um so I feel yeah kind of, I don't have those sorts of like responsibilities which maybe makes it a bit easier but it's still you know yeah the word undignified I like that because it can be um I kind of feel like a child again because you know, they literally tip your bag out and have to go through all your stuff and uh, you've got to sign, yeah, all these safety forms. And I get it because, you know, they have to, obviously, you know, they just want to keep you safe, obviously out, out of harm. But, um, yeah, look, I, I, I kind of, I'm used to it now, but I remember the first time I went into hospital and, you know, they tipped my bag out and they took loads of stuff away from me. Like, I couldn't even have my headphones because of, you know, because of the wires, you know. Uh, that was that was hard. I was like, you know, what what am I meant to do? Like, it was twenty. It was first time in in a inpatient unit, and yeah, that was that was tricky. That was hard actually. Um, but I'm a bit bit more used to it now. I think. You um, I I I, I thought that the the one thing that was that you that, that so you talk about the beginning of your book, and then you kind of there's a chapter towards the end of your book where you're talking about access to mental health services and i think it was four months after your first appointment you wrote that um that you would you were then you went to your follow-up appointment despite sort of a, a, a telling the, the the clinicians that you'd had suicidal thoughts and i think we're obviously seeing a lot of time and energy being devoted um to sort of encouraging people to talk about their mental health and and seek help do you feel one well, I, I mean this is a worry of mine but I, I, again i i I, I work in healthcare, so I can I can see mm. how how stretched the, the some of the services already are. Yeah. But it feels as though there's a bit of a danger that there may be a bit of a, a bottleneck, maybe for people that there's a lack of services, and it may end up actually deterring people from from talking mm. because they're being told go and seek help, go and seek help, go and seek help, and then they go and try and engage. Yeah, basically told. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I mean, um, I think especially. So I have a, a youth mental health charity called Beyond and um, we work with a lot of young people and we just hear the same thing over and over again. That You know, a lot of people start going to seek help when they're in their teens and, and maybe 20s. Um, and that's like a pretty, you know, vulnerable time. And, you know, you're growing up as a teenager and 
so much is happening in your brain and you know so many young people we speak to say they didn't get the help the first time and that put them off and then they waited you know maybe a few more months years even um obviously you know their mental health deteriorated in that time so I always say like we do like I do a lot of work with like GPs and you know GPs is often the first port of call that people go to when they're when they're struggling and if they don't get the, the the response that maybe they were hoping for with their GP, that could really put them off and set them back. And, you know, it's so crucial that GPs take it really seriously. And, you know, if there's a long waiting list for services, as there often are, you know, that GPs know that they can refer them to other sources of support. Like, you know, the, the third sector charities, they do so much work, the third sector organisations. And, you know, GPs should know what, what, what else is out there. But, I mean, um, yeah, I certainly found in my teens that, um, you know, going to, to, to CAMS and then not getting the help there and then going to my, because I went to university, my student doctor and not really getting the help from my student doctor. I was like, I don't really know what I'm, what I'm going to do. Like, I'm really struggling, but my men are just, you know, just like deal with it on my own. Like, how, how do I do it? It was just, um, yeah, it made, it made life a lot harder, I'd say. Yeah, it made life a lot harder. Um, I just think that, oh, there's just so much work to do it, as, as you know, there's so much work to do in the mental health system. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, we, we're talking about mental health a lot more and that's great. There's more awareness, there's, there's less stigma, but just like the mental health system itself, just, oh, it just, yeah, it just needs a lot of work. And I just feel like that we're, we're really not there yet at all. Um, but we'll get there. I'm sure we'll get there. I'm sure we will, but it, I think it's going to take a long time. Yeah, it's 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 first of all it's changing attitudes, isn't it? And then it's changing understanding, and then mm. from the understanding comes to change the sort of procedure and legislature, you know, legislature and, and all the rest of it. And it's it's a slow process, as I'm sure I'm sure you. Yeah, 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 really slow process. You you um you mentioned Beyond there, which you I believe you started a few years back. Mm. I, I I was reading um a story in the Guardian a few months back, which is reporting on figures from the millennium cohort study um mm. there's a statistic in there that was like seven percent of uk children have attempted suicide by the age of 17 mm. and yeah. it, it it feels like at that sort of age a teenage age that feels again i use the word bottleneck but a lot of pressure when you're at that age you know a levels driving tests um mm. you know for you it, you were dealing with your sexuality and i think yeah. for a lot of young people it's you know that same battle is is you know even you know even as myself I remember when I was a teenager being like oh god girls what how do I talk to them and and, and it, <laughs> it all happens all at exactly the same time yeah so for, for what yeah. you're doing with beyond what sort what are the type of things that you're doing with I know you work at schools and what have you but what are your sort of processes that you're going through to try and so maybe help with some of those those difficulties yeah so with our with our charity what we're doing is we are well at the moment we you know we work with all young people so you know schools universities uh young people that aren't in any educational settings at all but at the moment we're really focusing on schools as a start so we did a, a mental health festival for schools in february and we had um schools and colleges we had over 1200 schools and colleges take part around the, around the uk which was great um and what we're doing now is we're kind of building on that. Um, we're actually trying to fundraise. We're trying to raise a big fund because we want, um, 
a lot of schools after the festival said to us, look, this is great, but, you know, we need more and we can't afford it. Like our schools literally cannot afford a, a counsellor or, you know, anything like like mindfulness. And so what we're doing is we're, we're raising a fund because we want to be able to give grants um, to those schools and colleges that just can't afford to bring anyone in to have any more support. Um, but I mean, that, that's just one of, of, of many different things that we're, we're doing. We're also focusing on universities. Um, again, so many students, we've got a number of students that are on our youth board and so many students are struggling at the moment because of, uh, well, this, the, the, the last few months being at university or, or, or not really at university, you know, all this online learning is taking its toll on, on so many young people. Um, so yeah, focusing on, on, on universities as well. There's again, there's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Like the government, the government has pledged money, fine, but it's not enough money, and um, it's also long term money. So we need short term, short term solutions, and we're not seeing them at the moment. Um, coming out of the sort of pandemic, you know, people are really, really struggling. So. Um, yeah, we're trying to put the support in place that we can for for and not just young people, but, you know, teachers in particular. We speak to a lot of teachers that that are also really struggling. Again, it's been a really difficult sort of year for so many teachers having to, you know, completely adapt and go online. And that's not easy. And then the academic catch up and the pressure there. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's not an easy time. So, yeah, whatever we can do to put the help and support in place, we we are trying. But. Yeah, I don't think we quite realise the scale of uh, of kind of the the mental health. Um, uh, well, I hate to word the use. I, I hate to use the word crisis, but it is kind of a, a crisis that we're seeing coming out of the pandemic. Unfortunately, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a difficult way to avoid, isn't it? You're always yeah. you end up back at it every single time. I, I think it's the uncertainty for a lot of people, isn't it? I think mm. with with this type of thing you know the a lot of conversations that i've had with people have been you know well if at least i knew when it was ending then it wouldn't be so bad but i haven't got a clue what's going on and i don't know yep. when i'm going to be able to do anything or when i'm going to see yep. anybody i mean even even this year i mean we've you know we're, 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 we were given the roadmap where we and everything looked as so okay well we're heading in what you know in the, in the right direction and i booked some uh i booked some holiday for the end of august start september but that'll give me mm. enough space for yeah. maybe we'll be able to go away and stuff and then mm. now you every time you turn the telly on i'm just looking oh. i basically feel like the headline just says you're not going on holiday <laughs> <laughs> sorry like, i shouldn't that's sorry i shouldn't have laughed like that sorry <laughs> feel like it's really uh... like it's personally pointed at me every single time oh, i turn no. the telly on i'm like oh whatever then i won't go i'll just sit at home in my house but it's 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 yeah i think it's 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 the lack of a uh, human interaction isn't it as well it's been incredibly difficult i think for people particularly probably oh. for teachers as well because they're so used to that yeah and also you know we speak to teachers that are you know a lot of teachers have their own kids and they're trying to balance homeschool well they were trying to balance schooling online with like looking after their own kids and i mean the stress the stress and the pressure like i just can't again i don't have kids i just can't imagine and um yeah again for a lot of a lot of teachers, a lot of students, like particularly young people, you know, young people need to be around other people, part of their kind of, you know, their brain development. They need to be connecting with others. They need to be outside playing, creating. And, you know, look, I, I understand why it happened, but, you know, being stuck at home for such a long time has really had a, 
a profound impact on, on a lot of young people. You know, we've been speaking to schools recently and a lot of, a lot of schools are like, yeah, we just had a lot of young people that haven't returned to school. And I'm like, well, why? And they're like, well, they're too anxious. And I'm like, well, what are we doing about it? And schools are like, well, well I, we, we don't know. Like, we don't have the... We don't have the resources to support someone that's not coming back to school because they're they're too anxious. And I get it, but oh gosh, yeah, we, I don't know. We need to do something because I'm really bothered that, as I said, I speak to too many schools where they've been like, yeah, students just haven't come back and nothing's happening to them. You know, just being stuck in there. They, they, they're too anxious to come out again. They're, they're, they're just stuck indoors and and nothing's happening for them. It's a real it's a real worry, to be honest, for me. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's um, it's it's one of those things. What what happens a lot of the time with with these type of with these type of issues, uh, a lot of them kind of centre around mental health. I find is that it it it, it almost feels like it, it doesn't fall under anybody's responsibility. Like it, 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 it's sort of a little bit this this group's responsibility. It's a little bit that group's a little bit, and then it, it mm. nothing kind of ever gets done because yeah. nobody's mm-hmm. people are like. Well, we've got all the mm-hmm. things that we need to be getting on with, and then yeah, it just kind of exactly. falls through the cracks, doesn't it? The same the same thing's happening with um at the moment with social media. So again, like this is all anecdotal, but we speak to a lot of schools where you know, like social media sort of confrontations between young people um or even online bullying you know it's happening and and you know schools are saying look to to the families look you know you have to sort of control this and the families or the parents are saying to the schools no you have to deal with it and no one wants to take responsibility Uh, and the social uh, and the social media platforms i mean oh my word they but i've got to be careful what i say but yeah they don't want to because we're working with some of them so we've got to be careful but I, i just feel that they don't take uh, responsibility enough and actually I really like so obviously I don't know if you saw um Thierry Henry what he put out on on Twitter did you see that yes I did yeah mm, that was pretty that was pretty bold I was like wow yeah he was like you know you've these social media platforms they just do not want to take any responsibility for any of the racism any of the the, the bullying any of the kind of um yeah any any of the um infighting and there's so much infighting that goes on I mean I've got involved in like some really nasty sort of Twitter kind of stats uh people that you know real extremists real like right-wing extremists that you know again because I yeah I'm gay I get you know homophobic abuse and because I'm Jewish I get anti-semitic abuse and it's not really okay I mean I've anyway yeah it's not okay it's not okay uh, but no one wants to take responsibility for it, which is a shame. Yeah, it does feel like that. It feels like, like I am. I, um, I stopped using Twitter mm. just before Christmas, and um, I only use it now for our uh, podcast page. And like the, I think I've, I was saying to somebody, I said, I think I've read about six books since I stopped using Twitter because <laughs> it's just yeah. like. Oh my God, all of a sudden I have all this brain space to mm, do something more constructive yeah, with, right, which, is, right. which is, which is just, um, yeah, yeah, it's difficult because it, there's so much about Twitter that I really love and there's so many funny yeah. things on there and, yeah. you know, interesting stuff and there's some people doing really amazing work that you yeah. wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then you, you go on the comments on something and you just think, what on earth are some people doing? Like what, uh, what what goes through some people's minds when they're writing stuff, and even like I even find it's it's it 
there's obviously a, a it's obviously a sliding spectrum with these type of things, but you know, not not even just all the horrific abuse that some people get, just the general sort of people being a being knobheads on there. When I'm just like, why you why have you just written that to somebody? Like, why did why have you replied like that? Yeah, like, what was the point? What did you it's, hope to achieve by that other than just causing a row? It, it, I mean, I see it as well. Unfortunately, like on on YouTube, you know, I watch a lot of I don't know, like YouTube. Well, particularly a lot of like I watch a lot of like music videos and stuff on on YouTube. And again, like I read the comments, and people are so like aggressive and like, oh, my band's better than your band. Or I mean, I'm just like, why do we have to keep like, you know, uh, pitting people against each other? I, I see it in the media. I see it in the social media. It just, it just really, I just. Someone said to me the other day, like, it's a bit like smoking. Like when, you know, when cigarettes first came out, you know, these cigarettes just, everyone started smoking. Like everyone, no one knew the health um, consequences of smoking, but everyone, everyone did it because it was, it was cool. It was, it was fun. It was a thing to do. And someone compared that to social media the other day. And I was like, yeah, like it's, a, it's kind of similar. Like, you know, they've given us all these tools and not sort of, educated us around using them and you know it's getting a bit out of control and and yeah the health the health um sort of dangers are, well yeah they're becoming like increasingly apparent and it's uh yeah it's a worry it's a worry that's um that's such a good comparison i've not even thought about it like that it's the same with anything new isn't it i suppose mm. you don't know what the risks are until you start start using it yeah like, but i find that with with social media i just find like I don't think I've ever gone on on Twitter and then come off being really glad that I went on to Twitter. It's <laughs> <Just laughs> yeah. something that yeah, some people spend hours every day doing. But so many other experiences are much mm. more satisfying that you would, that you would like the amount of times where I'm sitting there and I pause the TV show that I really enjoy so I can scroll through Twitter and then I'm just like, what am I doing? Oh, like, why, yeah, aren't I, why, are, why aren't I watching this excellently scripted drama on the telly? I'm, just... I'm the same. <laughs> I'm the same. It's bad, isn't it? It's bad. It's really bad. Oh. Um, you, one, one of the things, Johnny, that I, that I was curious to ask you about was, so towards the end of last year, I got um, a diagnosis from a psychiatrist of um, mm. uh, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. And I've spent mm-hmm. the last sort of few months doing, you know, trying to learn about it and, and mm. put quite a lot of my sort of life decisions and mental health and stuff into into context, if you know what I mean. So yeah, explains a lot sure. of the a lot of the sort of things that have that have gone on. In terms mm. of the, the the diagnosis that you got when you were when you when you when you when you first started engaging mm. with, with health services, which was is it schizoaffective disorder, is that right? Mm. Yeah, that's right. How, how did how did it make you feel when you first got your diagnosis and, and did it help? you to have that diagnosis in order to kind of understand your own thoughts and feelings yeah no it's a really good question and um I'm always yeah I'm always really interested in you know this conversation and you know how people feel about their sort of diagnoses I mean when I got mine it was horrendous because I mean I knew I wasn't well I knew but I didn't expect it to be I didn't know what schizoaffective disorder was um I mean, obviously, I knew, I knew schizophrenia, but I just didn't, just didn't ever think that I had something like a form of schizophrenia. It just never, I don't know. Just it, it was a shock. It was a massive shock, and uh, it was, it was a real shock to my family and friends as well. Real shock. Um, 
And when I got that, I think when I got the diagnosis, I think the way it was delivered to me as well didn't help. My psychiatrist was, I wasn't exactly, uh, you know, hopeful or positive about it. It was just like, this is a really serious diagnosis and, you know, you're very unwell. And to know, as a 20-year-old, you know, I was like, well, is it, this is it then, you know? My life is sort of over with this, with this condition. And, you know, when he started talking to me about the treatment, the, 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 the drugs, the antipsychotics, which are, you know, a really strong medication, which can really sort of, well, it's really knocked me out. Um, it was just so bleak. I think it was just so bleak. And there was just no, I was given a diagnosis. I was put straight into hospital. Uh, it was just, yeah, there was a real sort of bleakness around it. Um, it took me years to, uh, like you were saying, like it took me years to start, you know, reading up, researching. I didn't want to deal with it for a long time. I didn't, I didn't want to acknowledge. I didn't want to talk about it. I was embarrassed. And yeah, I just was, yeah, I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed. I didn't want to really talk to my family, my friends. And, and to be honest, they didn't want to talk either. It was kind of something that was awkward. And we just wanted, it was like the elephant in the room, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it took a long time actually to, 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 address it I wish I'd have dealt with it you know when I was well much sooner I wish I'd have dealt with it but look I mean I didn't and yeah obviously I regret that but that was the journey that I, that I went on and I think everyone goes on their own unique journeys when it comes to to getting a diagnosis and that's fine that's 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 fine I don't know how it is with you if you yeah kind of well you said you're finding well it sounds like you're finding your feet with it yeah it's a weird one really it's kind of like so it was, I, I, it, my experience was kind of almost the complete opposite of yours in a way. The, the, the psychiatrist mm. kind of just dropped it on me and then carried on talking about something else. And I was like, hang on wow. a minute, rewind back wow. a minute. What did you just say to me? Wow. <laughs> and like, it was particularly interesting. My, so my mum's got OCD. And so we, we mm. grew up with, with um, mm. my mum was, was sort of, clinically depressed when we were when we were children and she was she was very unwell when we were very young so that's kind of been something that i've been aware of you know my whole life kind of thing mm. <laughs> it's just a really yeah. weird experience but i kind of just started doing some googling about it recently and and you know reading up on it and i found it really useful in in kind of framing a lot of my the understanding of my behaviors you know you were talking before johnny about how you've got a better understanding of the way that your mind works or you know the way that you mm. think about things and you know like trigger points and things that you you know notice when your behavior is changing and stuff mm -hmm. so i mm -hmm. found it useful from that perspective in terms of maybe framing for me how why i'm thinking about things or why i'm reacting to things in a certain way and then yeah. equally how that makes me feel on the back of it so that i found it really useful but i guess for me i mean i'm 28 so mm. i mean the difference between getting a you know having that conversation at 28 and maybe if i'd been 18 it would have been probably mm. completely different um the other thing i wondered as well johnny was so with um with with the uh, schizoaffective disorder and the same probably for schizophrenia i assume the the sort of stigma that comes with that and that people think of it as you know people often associate it with the, the kind of extreme sort of almost criminal behavior that people mm. hear about isn't it so i suppose you've got that in yeah. the mix as well to deal with yeah exactly that's why i was i didn't want to tell people i didn't really want to talk about it for a long time because of that that stigma really um 
Yeah, I think the media, I mean, the media, the way they portray uh, schizophrenia, uh, it needs a lot of work. Uh, although I will say that, you know, I, I watched, um, have you seen the film uh, A Beautiful Mind? It's a, yes, yeah, I have a while mm, ago, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that film I thought was brilliant. Well, it is brilliant, and it's a true story. And that really, we, we need more films like that, I think. You know, people that are living with schizophrenia or schizoaffective, and they're thriving, they're doing well. Um, <laughs> sorry, mate. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, um, just need, um, yeah, we need we need more positive stories. I think when it comes to uh, to schizophrenia, schizoaffective, um, I think that would have told me, you know, if there were positive role models out there. I think there's a lot of positive role models when it comes to, uh, you know, depression, anxiety. Uh, we're seeing a lot of people talk about that, um, but you know, conditions such as schizophrenia or even something like you know, borderline personality disorder bpd i know a few people that have got like bpd and again there's not so many like positive role models out there we, we need more of those yeah role models that are talking about it that are unashamed that are you know doing well living with the with with, with, with the condition um yeah i think i think that it, it really helps having those role models doesn't it yeah i agree it's um it's like bipolar isn't it i mean i know it's Stephen fry's got it's bipolar isn't he and i know mm. he's the he's um I think he's a good example of that. I suppose mm. that you. I think the way Absolutely. people think about it is like the the the, the diagnosis almost defines the person rather than you know it, it just being a, a facet of, of of the of the individual. You know what I mean? And, it, and it, yeah. it's kind of trying to change that conversation. Mm. One mm-hmm. section of your book that I thought was 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 really interesting was you talked about an instance when you were in university where your housemates came to pick you up from the middle of a, a dual carriageway. Yeah. Um, and you wrote during that sort of in that section that you were I think you wrote about having guilt about the way that your sort of condition had, would affect those people around you and I certainly kind of resonated with that that, mm. that sort of sentiment how do you um, how did how did you reconcile with that how did you kind of you know come to terms with the fact that you know the way that your the way that your condition may affect other people is not necessarily something that you you know, that you're to blame for, if you see what I mean? Uh, it took a long time, if I'm honest. It took a long time, yeah. I mean, I was, um, yeah, I was in Manchester, so I was living in Manchester. Um, I went to uni in Manchester, and, uh, it, it, yeah, it was difficult uh, for a long time with, with my my friends in Manchester. Um, I, I don't know, like, looking back, I would, you know, after the diagnosis, after I came out of hospital, I went back to Manchester and I just, I was, I don't know, I'd like, I'd go off in the middle of the night, like, and I wouldn't tell them and I'd I'd worry them. And, you know, I'd, I'd basically, I'd I'd keep doing things to like worry them. And I don't think looking back, I, I really appreciated that. I was so sort of wrapped up in my own kind of despair. Um, You know, I just didn't really, sort of consider the the people around me it sounds really yeah I guess I was you know looking back I was well I was struggling you know I was really struggling I was I just wanted to run away all the time and and I I guess that's what I kept doing I I pushed people away I I, I didn't you know my some of my uni friends um you know they really tried with me they really tried to like talk to me and help me but I just 
I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it back then. Now it's different, you know. I, I guess it's it's taken time, and I've, I guess I've got more confident with my, you know, my diagnosis and my the way I talk about it. But definitely back then, I really used to, um, yeah, I really used to push people away and uh, maybe just maybe not treat treat them the best. But you know, um, I was struggling, and I, and I know now when see I've got friends now that kind of do that to me. And I get it now, you know, I really get it when, particularly my male friends, like I've got a few male friends that, you know, what, what one of my male friends, I know he won't mind me saying he's in a different place now, but he did, he, he ran away, he ran away. I actually, he, he did a runner to the US and, um, you know, we didn't know where he was and I had to go to the police and it was, he, he was missing for, for a while and, uh, and I was so angry, but then I was like, you know what, no, I'm not angry because... I get it. I get it. You, when you're when you're in so much pain, you just want to run away, and you you don't want to, you know, be around people that you love because you feel like you're a burden, and you feel like you know you're affecting them. And it's such a tough one, isn't it? I think it's such a tough one. I think I think more more empathy is needed, um, more more understanding. Because I yeah, I get it now. I, I it's I get it. It's tough. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's. That's a really big thing, I think, for people to overcome is not what, because I think a lot of people, and I certainly put myself in that category, and it sounds as though you were as well, Johnny, you don't want to bother other people. That was the nah. thing I'm always worried about. I think like, oh, I just don't want to, I don't want to bother anybody else with it. Do you know no, what I mean? Like, this I'll, is I'll, it. And that's the, the big, that's like the, almost the, you know, the big, big leap to make, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you, you mentioned like, you mentioned, you know, physical illness before and, it's 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 so different, isn't it? Because if you've got a if you've got a broken arm or I don't know, uh, if you've got cancer, it's so different. I think because people are just more understanding and more able to to deal with that. But when it comes to mental illness, people we still I think there's just again this is why I'm doing a lot of work in schools. I just think if we start in schools with like educating educating young people and um, I think it can make such a difference. You know, I just wish if me and my friends had got some sort of education on on mental health and how to deal with it, I think we I think things would be really different. But we didn't. But hopefully, the next generation can get that sort of education, learn how to deal with it. I think it will make a difference. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it's just about it's, as you say, just normalizing those conversations yeah. and normalizing the conversations. I think when they're at a really early stage where yeah. Um. Even if you're just, you know, it doesn't need to be to the extent that you're, you know, having, um, you know, you're you're in a really dark place. Even if it's just you're having a, a you're feeling down or you're having low moods or you're just having a shit day. Just being able to say that to people and have yeah. that conversation, I think, is really important as a as a breakwater. I think for everybody to kind of sort of reframe the way that we think about talking about stuff that's affecting us i think that's the yeah i kind of i kind of think about it one one um one other thing in your book that i thought was dead interesting was your you talked all the way through or especially at the beginning of the book about a desire to be a desire to be famous a desire to be known and 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 have that kind of notoriety i suppose and Mm. through the sort of work that you've done with your you know with the mental health advocacy and the the documentary in particular you you've obviously garnered a level of, of notoriety and fame on the on the back of that work do you kind of reflect on on what you wanted all those years ago and think you know that 
has is the the notoriety helped at all, or is it something that's just happened and you you don't really notice it, so to speak? It's it's a weird one. It's a, it's a really weird one. Um, so uh, you know, I did this campaign to find the the guy that taught me out of um, jumping off a bridge. I was when I was really unwell, and I did this campaign and. The campaign got loads of traction and it went viral and, and we made a documentary about about the campaign, about the search to find this guy, the stranger on the bridge. And that was, uh, it was just really weird. It was really surreal. Like, I don't know, having this attention on me and um, I just found it really strange. I don't know how, I just don't know how celebrities deal with it, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, yeah, I, 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 growing up, I did want to be, I wanted to be, well, I think I wanted to be just liked, really liked by everyone. Um, and that's why I thought if I get famous, then I'll be liked by everyone. But I don't know. I just, I just, just, I, I really struggled, I think, with, with uh, you know, people, like people, people coming up to me that I didn't know. Uh, it didn't happen a lot of times, but people would come up to me in the street. Um, and when I was in a good place, that was great. But when I was in a bad place, that was tough. That was tough. Because people would like, um, they'd come up to me and they'd start, I, I, you know, like praising me and, you know, oh, you're so amazing, so inspiring. And when you're in a bad, when, when I'm in a bad place, I'm like, I don't want to, I just don't want to hear this. It's not helping. I, I just, so yeah, I, I look at, I just can't. And we've seen it play out, haven't we? I mean, look at someone like, you know, Caroline Flack or, or, or Amy Winehouse. I mean, Honestly, the struggles of, 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 of fame, they're just, uh, they're all too real, aren't they? Um, I just, I just don't know how people, I honestly don't know how people deal with it. I really don't. Um, and if, if I, if I had that level of fame that they had, I just, I, I think I would lose it. I honestly think I would, I wouldn't be able to deal with it. Um, because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's every, it's the media, it's social media, the way that people are, we talked about it before, they're so unkind. Like, I mean, I've, I've written stuff, you know, I've done interviews and, uh, or written stuff in papers. Oh, sorry. My doorbell's gone. Two That's sex. right. That's go on. My <laughs> hold on. Two secs. Two secs. Sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Good, mate. Thanks. Um, yeah, I was I was just saying, so yeah, I've done interviews or written things in papers and I've got negative like negative comments and that kind of sends me off on one. Um and that's just from like, you know, one article. I can't imagine if like there was loads of articles about me and there was all these negative comments. I just don't think I'll be able to deal with it. It's such a hard world. Um It's a really weird, um really weird concept, that level of fame when you start to like unpack it like it's just mm. odd. i found it such an really odd is did you um did you find that there was a bit of a pressure on you to almost be like well like i i i got because you were almost becoming like a you know like a like a a representation of a more modern attitude to mental health that there was a bit of a pressure on you to not be ill anymore if you know what i mean mm, i definitely felt that i mean i put the pressure on myself if i'm honest i think you know no one else put that pressure on me um definitely definitely put it on myself i think uh when i sort of you know when i did the documentary um on channel four actually i was i was unwell i was unwell and i yeah i was struggling but 
there was like you know when when the documentary came out there was like press opportunities and like I had to talk to the media and I was like I'm not well but I've got to do this I've got to I've got to appear well um I think I put the pressure on myself if I'm honest um and uh whereas now you know I'm very I'm, I'm much more honest if I'm not well um and like because sometimes I get you know I'll get a request from BBC Radio 5 Live can you do this can you come on air and talk about this thing that's happened and if I'm not well I'll be honest I'll just be honest and say no I'm not I'm not in a good place I can't do it and yeah I think I just feel so much better for being open and honest you know um it, it makes a difference I think I feel very lucky because you know I speak to a lot of people that tell me they can't still they can't they can't be honest in their workplace for example they can't tell their boss they can't tell their colleagues they're worried about the impact whereas obviously I'm because I work in mental health and do what I do I feel like I can be honest and open and I just wish everyone could could have that you know because again like you know if it was a physical health issue if you broke your arm no one's going to hide that you, you can't hide it you've got a got a sling you got a cast but yeah when it comes to mental health people still feel they have to hide it and I just I find that such a shame yeah absolutely especially in a workplace environment because it's it's you know you, you, you're there a lot of the week aren't you for most people it's it's oh, exactly. the single biggest place that you yeah that you, that you go to and that you and a lot of people's sort of identity and self-esteem and stuff is is based around their workplace and you yeah. know, kind of ambitions and things and it you know it's just yeah, it's a it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I think it's it's as you say, it's it's just continuing. You just have to keep continuing reiterating that message to people, don't you? That that, that it's you know it's not a it's not a weakness, and it shouldn't be mm. as a weakness. Exactly. And if somebody exactly. comes to you with that, you know, with, with with that admission, how you should behave when you when you you know when when you receive that information, um. So sort of to wrap up then, Johnny, in terms of what your plans are for, you know, the near future, what have you got anything kind of, you know, you've got, you were mentioning your new book that, that, that's coming out and mm. and obviously you, you continue in your work with Beyond and, and, and some other bits of Bob's as well. What are your sort of, what are you kind of looking, looking forward to in the next sort of few months? Uh, well, I'm looking, for, oh, I'm looking forward to like sort of getting out and seeing people again on a personal level. I find like... Um, I think for me, personal connection, being with people, it makes a difference for my mental health and for a lot of people's mental health. I think, you know, I'm, I've really got this kind of like Zoom fatigue now, as, as a lot of people have. Um, I want to be with people. I, I, I want to hug people, you know what I mean? As I'm sure we all, we all do. I'm, on a personal level, I'm looking forward to that. And on a sort of professional level, yeah, the book's coming out. Uh, and also, yeah, with the charity, we... Um, yeah, I, there's just so much work to do with with uh, in terms of particularly youth mental health at the moment. I mean, it's on the news, isn't it? A lot, you know, how young people are, are being affected by the, the pandemic and and the struggles that obviously not just young people that but but the people are facing. And so, you know, we're working as hard as we can. We we uh, we we did one festival for schools and colleges. We're now doing another festival for schools and colleges. We're actually looking to make it global. There's a number of countries, other countries, their schools tuned into our festival. So looking to make it global, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, we just, um, at the moment, we, we're kind of trying to like, trying to respond to the need that's out there. Because there is a big need, isn't there, for mental health support right now. So we're trying to, as, as I think all mental health organisations probably are right now, just trying to really respond to the need as best as we can. Um, 
and trying to yeah, look after our own mental health as well. I think that's that's key. You know, it's it's very easy to um, forget to put your own sort of oxygen mask on, as they as they say. You know, it's uh, I find it easier to deal with other people's issues than than deal with my own. But I need to get better at yeah, looking after myself uh, first and foremost. I think. Welcome back. You're still listening to Man Mark, and I'm still joined by Ryan and Ant, fellas. That was obviously an interview I, I did solo. Uh, you two have had time to listen back to it and yeah. digest it. I'm just going to open up the floor, Ryan. What were your kind of takeaways from from what Johnny was talking about? Um, the the biggest thing for me was there was a, there was a there's a moment about half an hour in where he says I may relapse again, and if I do, I just have to deal with it. And it, it was kind of came across as somebody who's now quite well drilled in controlling um, the, the the mental health. It goes back all the way to um, to one of our first episodes with Neville Salford where he said where he said if I'm gonna have an anxiety or panic attack, just ride the wave till it's over kind of thing. And I think that's important for people to reach that stage where they I mean you've commented on yourself where you almost just accept it and not fight it and prepare yourself yeah. to deal with it, which is something I think Johnny's done really well. I mean I think his first ever, um, I think he visited a psychiatrist when he was five with his parents, mm. quite young, and he's obviously had a near 30-year battle with various different things. And For me, if, if, if anyone's listening who does struggle with something or maybe just come to terms with a recent diagnosis, is getting to that point where you're, you're comfortable enough with it to say, I can't guarantee it won't flare up, mm. it won't happen. But what I can guarantee is my reaction to it. And I think that as a lesson for me is it would, would be a very important one. Yeah, massively. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've kind of discussed a, a handful of times on the podcast with various different people is that kind of understanding, as you say, that this you, you I'm not going to cure this. It's not going to go away. This isn't like a, an, an ear infection and I'm going to get some antibiotics and that's going to sort it. It is something I'm going to have to find a way to kind of control and look after and manage yeah. over my life and, and and when difficult times do happen I've got me I think it was Aaron who said I've got me toolkit I've got me toolbox of things mm-hmm. that I can that I can pull out we were talking briefly before and before we started recording about Aaron Connolly who we had on the show a while ago and I think Aaron's the only other person off the top of my head forgive me if I'm wrong I can think of who'd been to a, a psychiatric facility um which, is, which only happened, thankfully, for, for Aaron once. But with Johnny, having read his book and obviously spoken to him the other day, it's, it's, he's been in numerous times in, in numerous different places. And I think there is a bit of an idea for people around what an, a psychiatric facility actually is, what it actually looks like, how it actually feels. And I think listening to someone like Johnny who's able to kind of verbalise exactly what that experience is like, I think that's kind of eye-opening, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the thoughts of, of those places are probably very outdated aren't they I don't yeah. think there's much representation on on television or, or anything like that in films really they're really outdated as well so I think you know he, he mentioned going in there and you, you were talking about it with him you know it's kind of a bit undignified it's kind of like you are a child yeah. you know we'll take your phones off you won't, won't. and you, you can completely understand it I think what's really good and the, the, the good thing about us doing these interviews is that me, yourself, Dan and Ryan, as of yet and, and hopefully never, will have to never have to use those things. Never have to go into into a psychiatric hospital. But it's also really difficult for us to 
to understand them. So for, for Johnny and for Aaron to come on and, and kind of give us a bit of an insight into that is is kind of fantastic in a really weird way. Yeah. Um, because it shows you the levels of of mental health and ill mental health. Um, obviously, it, it's just such a wide ranging spectrum. Mm. Um, and I think that's important to know. And I think, I think, personally for me, you know, I would consider myself not even to the to nowhere near the level of some of the people we've interviewed. Mm. That's quite comforting. Going, hang on, I, I can take solace. At I'm, I'm, I'm all right here. This is kind of normal to feel yeah, this yeah, way. That's yeah. okay. That's fine. So, if I identify myself at, the, at that level, and then because I've spoken to these people, if, we, if we're going down those those routes and, and getting further down that, that spectrum, almost. And I, I kind of know where I need to go, what it's going to be like for one. You know, I'm, I can't imagine anyone's really spoken about of what places like that are like. Um, certainly, anyway, to be honest. And yeah, I, I think it's almost when you said the, when you said the word undignified, it is, but it it must be. It's completely necessary, isn't it? As well, yeah. at the same time, so it's for your own safety. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think when he says, you know kind of like a child it's probably a comfort in that mm. I'd imagine um, and he you know he didn't seem to be afraid or or disappointed in the fact that he was going back in like Ryan says if it, if it happens again it happens again and that's kind of a it's, it's a really mature way to deal with it but yeah. that's something that's kind of learnt isn't it you know I'm trying to think of, of something that's quite comparable if you start a new job it's really difficult for about six months because you don't really know what's going on this this is kind of a similar thing, you know. If you go through these these moments in your life where you're struggling, it's going to be hard when you don't really know what's going on. But the, the older you get, the, the better that you'll be. Yeah, it's experience in it. Yeah. It's the same with anything. Is that you know? I, I think we we all remember being seventeen, eighteen, and thinking you knew it all at seventeen, eighteen, yeah. and now you you were coming on a decade later, and you think. God, I didn't know anything about anything, did I? Like, I literally just didn't know anything. Have you learned how to speak to girls yet? Uh, <laughs> I'll come back to you on that one. Um, <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I think you, you talk about that spectrum. I think that's really important because, you know, we've had, you know, uh, upwards of, of 70 guests, I think, we've had on, on the podcast now. And we've spoken to people like Johnny and, and, and like, Aaron and, uh, and like, um, David Cox and people like that who've been right to the point of, I just don't want to be here anymore. It's the point of taking action to not want to be here anymore. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you might have someone say like, I don't know, like a Jamie Curitan, for example, or an Alan Mann, who don't identify themselves as having had any specific mental health problems or specific kind of issues with anxiety or depression. But through the stories that they told us, it was, they were able to demonstrate kind of, times when they've had to go through grief or go through some you know, trauma or anxiety or whatever it might be and just being able to verbalize that is really important and i think it's, it, it, it's important for people to not feel as though you know uh i'm not as bad as someone else or mine's not as bad as somebody else's it, it's it's all part of a continuing spectrum and to acknowledge even if you're at the very start of that at one end of it you know that you may have some feelings of anxiety okay well let's let's verbalize them let's talk about them so it doesn't become something where you feel as though it is worthy to talk about. And I think that's only one thing I've learned is that it, it, for us, someone might say, you know, I've not really had any issues with this, or it's not really something I know an enormous amount about. And then you talk to them and you say, well, how are you feeling? And, well, I was feeling a bit anxious about that. 
Mm. There you go. That's that, that's it. Just just verbalise that. Live a hundred percent stress free life. And equally, very rarely going to stay in one permanent state yeah. of mind. Exactly. Because it's exactly what you're saying. It's knowing where the ups and downs yeah, there'll are. There'll always be flux, yeah. won't there? Yeah. And it's just managing those things, isn't it? I mean, you you said that start, and I can't remember off the top of my head what it was about about child. Um, was it suicide attempts? Was something around that? Oh, yeah. In the interview itself. Yeah. yeah um, hang on a minute. Let me get the questions up. I can probably find Which it. Which is when, just as you're finding that, is that's a very important point, part because the action people take can be extreme because they don't understand what they're going through. So it's kind of like, oh my God, this is happening to me. And then that is probably going to tell us what that statistic is now. Yeah, it was. So there was a, an article in The Guardian back in, in February, um, which was reporting on figures from the, the Millennium Cohort study, which, if I remember rightly, was a study that was performed from children that were born. In, in the year the after the millennium, yeah. and they they, it was like a twenty year study, wasn't it? And they were they were factoring different parts of life, and it was a whole spectrum of people's lives, mm-hmm. wasn't it? There were lots of data that came off it. But one of the things was that seven percent of UK children have attempted suicide by the age of seventeen. So, you know, seven percent doesn't mean maybe doesn't feel like a high number. I feel but, like it feels high. No, but what I mean is, it's like. Seven percent in a lot of contexts, like yeah. you know what I mean. It's only a small number, but seven percent of 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 a lot of people is a lot of people. Yeah. So the reason I, the reason I brought that back up was because obviously you mentioned that just after that how hard it was being being seventeen, being yeah. sixteen, yeah. and it's not something that's really um, thought about to be honest. Because it's like oh, it's the best years of your life. Or it's passed off as just being it's just hormones. Yeah, just, you know, it's just there's a lot going on. <laughs> Growing pains, yeah. So. I just remember I always had this vivid memory of, of being um, being out downtown and walking when, around. When you say town, you mean like out, out? Oh no, sorry, just like out after school. Like, oh right, yeah, yeah. You know, perusing the posters, and HIV and never buying one. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, Carmen Electra and that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I just remember having this this vivid memory of going, I'm going to uni next year, and then I get a job, and I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I just remember going. And then you've got to earn money, and then you've got to do this, and then you do that. And I just remember this like five minute period when I just went, "Shit, that's a lot of things to, to worry about." <laughs> and I think genuinely, when he, you know, obviously Johnny, Johnny spoke about the, the struggles that people, school kids have had this year. I mean, throwing that on top of everything that's going on, mm-hmm. trying to fit in socially, trying to fit in with your with your friends, and and do the work, get a good good college, get a good duty, eventually get a good job set yourself up life and I know it's looked down upon as like schools are easy, GCSEs that you just turn up right in and you get the grades now and stuff like that and that doesn't you get it gets a lot of bad press, doesn't it? But it is really difficult and it's difficult for teachers as well to, to go through it, as Johnny said. I just feel like at that age it's you're kind of on the cusp of I'm not quite an adult. Yeah. And I'm not quite a kid. And it's so hard to kind of grasp and it must be hard for parents it's hard for you. i remember being hard for myself it's where some of my struggles started so it was just really eye-opening and when you said that i went yeah that probably makes sense yeah because it's it, it's one of those moments where you're not going to speak to anyone no. you're not going because you don't even know what's going on and i think I, I do think one one of the things that has come out of the pandemic you know there's, there's obviously been a lot of awful things but i think one of the 
you know, one of the positive things we can take from it. I think there has been a greater understanding of that type of thing. Yeah, of, like of, the of, place is stopping in place. Yeah, and, and and also I think as you say, there's a, I think there is a a, a, a kind of knee jerk reaction that comes from people when somebody who who is in air quotes has nothing to worry about. So what what have you got to worry about? There's nothing to worry about. I think people are sort of starting to change the 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 way that they think about those things. It is obviously gradual, and there will always be people who who won't see it that way. But I think there is a general consensus of you don't have to have the most stressful life in the world to be depressed, for example. And you equally don't have to be, you know, you don't have to just because you're depressed doesn't mean you're also really stressed. You know, those two things can, you know, they don't have to coincide. You don't have to coexist. You know, depression can come from a lot of places. It can come from boredom. It can come because you haven't got enough to stress about because you're not being stimulated enough mentally in terms of being able to do things. So I think there is coming around to a greater understanding. I think the pandemic has allowed people maybe to just step back and just have a little bit more of a think about, oh, do you know what? I've never actually not had anything to do before. Mm. And it's actually not that nice. So, And then they will probably think back to, God, do you remember that? Remember so-and-so? And he was used to say, like, oh, he was dead down and stuff like that. And I used to think, why have you got to be down about? You, you don't do anything. Mm. How can you be down? You're not stressed. I've got all these things to do. Yeah. I'm dead important. I, I think, yeah. I think you're completely right. And I just thought the stuff that, that, that he's doing with, with with that as well is, is fantastic, really. Yeah, we're helping, beyond. Yeah. yeah, we're helping those, helping people out at that age, I think is, it is the perfect age to try and get a hold of something. Funnily enough, I was listening to a, a Bill Bear, the American comedian, was doing a one-to-one talk with Kevin Hart and he was talking about lockdown and getting back to gigging. And he actually said, because he's been seeing a therapist, I think Bill Beck has always had anger issues, which he's quite open about. He said the hardest part of lockdown is being, having nothing to do. He said because going on the road is quite stressful as a comedian, but he said it blocked out the noise for him. Mm. Like, he was so occupied with getting his script right, performing, going back to the hotel, practicing, rehearsing, then seeing his family in the few hours yet and all that. They're actually sitting at home. Like, he needed the stress of being busy. Because then he's just alone and thinking, which yeah. is probably the case for a lot of people. Yeah, hugely. And I think there's there's been a, maybe a bit of a recalibration in the way that people kind of think about that type of thing. You read you read Johnny's book as well, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Where, where can you get that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, anywhere to be honest, I think I bought it on Amazon, mm. which is bad. Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Should buy it from an independent bookstore, really. Um, but yeah, I bought. I, I, I think I bought it from from Amazon. So yeah, you 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 you're right to mention it. Uh, and it is it is a really brilliant book. I, I, I mentioned it to Johnny in the episode. It's 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 a heavy topic. The things that he talks about are some really difficult things in there, but there's a lightness to it. There's a there's a light tone to it that makes it an easy read, which is important. I think when you read a book like that, really that, you, that it doesn't feel like you're getting bogged down in it. And it, yeah, I really enjoyed reading it. So it's called um, The Stranger on the Bridge. Um, you can probably buy it anywhere that sells books to be honest with you um he has also brought out a new book this year which is called the book of hope um which 101 voices on overcoming adversity and i think he has 101 contributors to the book um and it, and it follows a similar sort of narrative in a way that even in difficulty even in darkness even in those really hard times that there are things to look forward to and there are things to be to be hopeful about and you know, particularly in this moment, that is a really important thing, I think, for everybody to kind of take on board. Absolutely. So, chapter, I think that's probably, yeah, 
probably a sensible time for us to wrap up. Thank you very much for, for your time and your thoughts as per usual, boys. Um, and thanks to you, the listener, for, for joining us and, and listening along. We'll be back on Friday with another Euro show. We'll be looking back on the last 16. Um, I mean, we may or may not be happy to do it, but it'll be happening either way. It's in the diary. <laughs> um, so yeah we'll be bringing you that on Friday as we look back on the last 16 particular, with a particular focus on the big one Ukraine-Sweden we'll be looking back on that one um, but yeah so we'll we'll join you then on uh, on Friday so big thanks to you the listener for listening um, if you do want to find out a little bit more about uh, Beyond which is the organisation that, that, that Johnny was a, a, a founder of they are a um, an organisation which is committed to making a difference to the mental health of young people up and down the UK uh, and you can find them on their website, wearebeyond.org.uk. Uh, and they're also on socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just just search on there. If you go onto Johnny's um, Twitter, just at Johnny Benjamin, um, hit the, the at for Beyond is in his uh, in his bio. You can find it on there. You can also find us on Twitter. We're at Marken underscore man. And uh, don't forget to use the hashtag, where's the talking lads. So before we conclude... Please remember that the purpose of man marking is to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. We've started that conversation today, but we're asking you to keep it going. Talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your colleagues, even talk to strangers. Most important of all, remember to listen, because sometimes listening could save a life. Thanks to you for listening, and we'll see you again on Friday. Yeah, and anyone else actually that, that yeah, I think of that, you know, uh, or anyone that you think of that I might know, just happy to, to connect to you yeah if you want to put me in touch with prince william that's absolutely fine <laughs> <laughs> mate honestly if i could like it's so hard to get through to him because you've got to go through like so many different levels <laughs> and uh um well you know when next time i speak it's next time i speak to um like his people i can mention it um but it's hard it's really hard to get through <laughs> to him, as you can imagine yeah <laughs> i thought it was i'll try it I thought it was hard getting in touch with some footballers. Never mind getting in touch with the Prince. Oh, God, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. But I'll, just, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, always I can try. Fair. I can try. Or, or you've got to ask the question, haven't you? That's yeah, the exactly. That's the thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, 100%. 100%. Fantastic. Lovely. I'll let you go anyway, Johnny, but thank you very much, mate. Oh, cheers, mate. Cheers, cheers. Johnny. You take, take care. care mate. You too, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.